I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the After the Storm podcast, episode 13. And with all the negativity surrounding us, today we turn the tables and we talk about something that brings us all joy. And if you saw the name of the episode, then you'll see that it's called My First Love. And you may be sitting there wondering, am I about to go on a tangent about the first woman I ever loved, about the first girl I ever had a crush on in elementary school? Or is there a deeper meaning to this? Well, if you haven't been paying attention, then you may not have realized that my first love all along has always been music. Oh, I know. What a crazy plot twist. Who saw that coming? Oh, my God. The crowd goes crazy. No, listen. I've never tried to hide my obsession for music. It's all I talk about. It can be overwhelming sometimes. I know. But today, just for my own personal mental health, I had to take the time to do something more creative lately it feels like this platform has just been for these discussions about all these terrible things that are going on in the world today and don't get me wrong that's part of what this platform is for but at times i just want to have some fun with this as well and so today if you'll oblige me i'd like to walk us down memory lane so we can dissect this long and lovely relationship that i've had with music ever since i was a chubby little six-year-old boy to now a refined 29 year old man music has always been there it's always been there for my mind my body my soul it does so much for me spiritually physically and emotionally and i'd like to share some of that with you so if you're not into this kind of stuff if you're not into the music aspect of this show then this may not be the episode for you and that's okay because for the next 40 minutes or so i'm just gonna sing and talk and romanticize music the same way that I always have starting from the very very beginning so if you don't know by now my name is Eddie and I'll be your host and guide through the after the storm podcast so feel free to sit back relax as we go through this journey of life self-acknowledgement and today especially music is 1999 and a six-year-old boy named Eddie with brown curly hair and red cheeks like a tomato with a big old smile on his face and absolutely zero trauma to his name would go out and listen to hip-hop and R&B his first true love see I grew up on whatever my mom my sister my dad would put me onto at the time but specifically hip-hop and R&B were my first. I grew up on Aaliyah, Boys to Men, Big, Pac, Dr. Dre, Missy Elliott, Destiny's Child, TLC, Busta Rhymes, and so many other artists of that generation. I like to imagine myself as six years old in my little elementary class walking up to my 
six-year-old kindergarten crush. Let's call her April. And I would look her right in the face and I said, April, you're gonna listen to me. And I'd sing to her and I'd say, I'll make love to you like you want me to. And I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night. Not having a single clue what that song was about, but knowing that it was a way to sway girls and potentially get April to like me back. And I like to think that that's pretty much laid the foundation for the person that I am today. The kind of ridiculous human being that would just walk up to somebody and serenade them to some corny R&B song. And I have no shame about it. But besides Boys to Men, there's one artist from that particular era that I wanted to highlight, and that is Aaliyah. See, I believe that Aaliyah, if she hadn't have died at such a young age, would have become a global superstar. Likely would have been the Beyonce before Beyonce was the Beyonce of our time. She already has so many hits to her name. Try Again, Are You That Somebody, Rock the Boat. And she had the help of Timbaland, one of the greatest producers of all time. So we can only imagine what her true potential would have been. And I'm sad that we never got to see it. But just like Aaliyah, Tupac and Biggie died at young ages too. People forget that. Pac died at 26 and Biggie died at 27. And yet those are still legendary names that carry weights when you say them. And at that young age, I had no idea the impact that it would have on the music industry going forward. But looking back, I can definitely see how it affected everything afterwards. Oh boy. See, I'm trusting you with my heart, my soul. I probably shouldn't let you go. My mom and my dad had different ideas for where they wanted to take me musically. My dad, of course, like every other Hispanic household, it's Sunday, you want to sit down, eat your cereal, watch your cartoons, play video games, but no. It's Sunday, so it's cleaning day. So your parents blast music all the way to the top, make you clean your room, clean the living room, do your chores, and just invent stuff for you to do. And my dad would blast the sounds of the Bee Gees, Lionel Richie, Cat Stevens, Barry White, The Temptations. And every once in a while, he'd throw some old Mexican ballads into the mix. And I'd ask him, like, Dad, what are you doing? How, why are you listening to this? And now that I've been through some shit, I can see why he's into it. But I digress. Looking back now, I'm so grateful that my dad put me onto a lot of these artists. The Bee Gees I listen to on a weekly basis. Lionel Richie, one of the greatest of all time. Cat Stevens, one of the best songwriters of all time. Barry White, iconic voice. The Temptations are the goddamn Temptations. And even those Mexican ballads, they kind of got something to them too. Then my mom was always into Michael Jackson. And of course, it's undeniable that MJ, despite everything else, had some bangers to his name and even to this day when a michael jackson song comes on mom will look at me and she'll say oh this is my guy this is these are my songs i was like yeah ma i know you've been telling me for 20 years (laughs) 
but it's cool to have an artist to bond over with your parents and that you know you can see eye to eye on and talk about. And those years were very formative years for me musically. At that time, I was still running around and playing sports, video games, wanted to hang out with my friends outside, trying to learn how to talk to girls and not be shy around them, figuring out school and trying to just bring home good grades so that I could get rewarded and make my parents proud. And I think music wasn't really a priority. I knew that I liked it more than a lot of other people because I talked about it a lot more, but I don't think I was really aware of how much of an impact it was making on me in such an early age. Then 2004 comes around, and I'm burning CDs. Now imagine telling someone who was born after 2004 that you used to burn CDs. They would literally ask you, why would you ever take a lighter to a CD and burn it? And in a couple years, we're going to have people who don't even know what a CD is. God, I feel old sometimes. But that's just the reality of growing up. And back then, I was burning all CDs. I was on LimeWire, giving all my computers aids, but I didn't care because I was getting all the songs that I wanted onto the proper CDs, and I was making playlists before playlists were even a thing. Then I got a little bit of money. I don't know how, I don't know what I was doing, but I got a little bit of allowance. And what did I do with that allowance? No, I didn't spend it on food. No, I didn't spend it on Dave and Busters or going to a movie. Instead, I went to the record store by my house and I bought my first CD, The College Dropout by Kanye West. And obviously I had no idea what Kanye would end up becoming later on, but clearly I had a ear for music at a very young age. And aside from Kanye, I was burning CDs, I was burning pretty Ricky CDs, Ja Rule, 50 Cent, making mixed CDs for girls, that was my love language back then, and that's how I dedicated and kind of let the music do the work for me, and I was really diving into a lot of things at the same time. I was into G-Unit a lot, I remember going to uh, Kmart with my father, I'm a little 11 or 12 year old chubby boy, this is my fat stage, and I just look so innocent. I look like I've never said a bad word in my life. And I had full intention of buying G-Units Beg for Mercy. And so I grabbed the album, walked to the clerk, and then the clerk looks at the CD, looks at me, looks over to my dad. My dad looks at me. I look back at the clerk. She looks at the CD. And she says to my dad, are you sure you want to buy this for your son? Now, for anyone who doesn't know what that album looks like, it's the three members of G-Unit, 
Young Buck, Lloyd Banks, and of course 50 Cent. And they are ganged up on that album cover. Black bandanas, guns, the works. They look as gangsta as you could possibly look. And I said, yeah, this is what I want, Dad. And he said, all right, trust me. So he buys the CD, I go home, and the rest is history. And while that was happening, I was just looking into all things hip-hop. Jay-Z versus Nas, N.W.A. I was learning Easy e songs at a very young age. Very inappropriate shit, but I was in it. And I knew. And during that same year, I realized the love language in music. It's 2004, and that same chubby little kid that went to buy that Beg for Mercy G unit CD ends up at a party with his older brother. And his brother hanging out with his friends and his friends have younger siblings just like me i remember talking to a girl let's call this girl natasha so natasha is my age and we hit it off as 11 year olds do talking about music and gummy bears and all our favorite cartoons and whatever it is that 11 year olds talk about and I feel like we made an impression on each other. But this is before the times when we could text each other or really easily contact each other. And I remember I did not get her AIM screen name or her Yahoo MSN screen name. And that was my first mistake. But a couple of weeks would pass and I would long. And I'd be like, wow, I wonder what Natasha's doing right now. And then one day my brother came home and he said, hey, remember that party we were at two weeks ago? Where you met my my friend's sister Natasha I said yeah of course I said well she wanted me to give you this Natasha made me a mix CD and I think that was the first time I ever fell in love and now thinking back I don't know where Natasha is I don't know where what happened to her I don't know if she's still even with us but I hope that she's doing well and I think now that that may have been the one that got away But I digress. Fifth grade comes around <laughs> and I'm a player, so I got to move on. So I'm at this point, 50% Eminem show, 50% Confessions by Usher. I'm all over the place. And during this same time is when reggaeton was starting to become hot. Wisin and Yandel, Don Omar, Daddy Yankee, Pitbull, Kulo, like it was just this revolution of Spanish music and a lot of it was shit that we probably shouldn't have been listening to. Mi cama huele a ti, noche de sexo, racata. It's a bunch of songs that are a little bit inappropriate for people of the 10 to 15 year old demographic. But whatever, it helped us grow up a little bit quicker. But I knew that music in one way or another was finding a way to express all these feelings that I was having as a teenager going through puberty. And then during our middle school time, I remember talking on the phone, on the landline to all my little girlfriends that I had and dedicating songs to them on the Power Love Hour. We don't know what the Power Love Hour is. It just used to be this one hour uh, radio show on Power 96. I think they do it from like 9 to 10 or 10 to 11 where this DJ would come around and he'd talk in his real soft voice like this, like what's going on? 
It's the power of the hour. And then he would dedicate songs that people would call in. And you'd have like, hey, what's up? This is Gorda. I just want to dedicate this song to my flaco over in Kendall. And it was the shit back then. And so that's what I would do. I would dedicate Casey and JoJo songs, Mario, Let Me Love You, Baby Bash, to whatever little girl I was talking to at the time. And it was my first little introduction into like that boy-girl dynamic. Meanwhile, while all this was going on, I got the reggaeton, I got the R&B, I got the hip-hop. A little band by the name of Linkin Park comes around and they start to mess with the the nuts and bolts in my mind and start transitioning me over into rock. Linkin Park and the Gorillas to be specific. back at Lincoln Park you had Chester and you had Mike Shinoda so Chester gave you all the elements of rock the screaming and obviously the instrumentation was very heavy and then Mike would give you the rapping and so for a lot of us I feel like Lincoln Park was the true gateway from hip-hop to rock the collaboration with Jay-Z the collision course album and that changed everything and I think at that point I started to kind of transition a little bit into rock, but I wasn't there just yet. And during the same time, you had your people going through your emo phases. People listening to AFI, to My Chemical Romance, Fallout Boy, Paramore. And while a lot of people had their emo phases in 2005 and 2006, I didn't have mine for another 15 years. And during those middle school years, I feel like the music that we listened to became our personality. We became these caricatures of whatever artists and bands we were into at the time. If you liked rock and emo, you had jet black hair, would wear chucks or vans, you'd have the chain on your jeans, uh, you'd wear the spiky bracelets, gauges, piercings, the whole nine. And if you like hip hop, you had baggy shorts, Air Force Ones with a strap, piercings, a fade or like a blowout haircut, chains, you know the look. And so we were really so heavily influenced by the music that we listened to at that time. And at that point, I was still pretty basic. I was still into R&B and hip-hop. Obviously, I was T-Pain and Chris Brown out. That was back when Chris Brown was actually good. And T-Pain, I don't care what anybody says, is a legend of the game. Put some respect on my man T-Pain. One of the greatest R&B artists to do it ever, 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 ever. But while that was happening, I'm also still all in on my hip-hop. 
that Kanye phase was hitting so hard at that time. I was still on the college dropout, late registration. This was the era of graduation and 808s and heartbreak. I was also listening to a lot of outcasts at that time, speaker box on the Love Below, Stankonia, AT Aliens. I was into Jay-Z, obviously, The Blueprint, 1, 2, and 3, Life and Times of Sean Carter, American Gangster, Kingdom Come, The Black Album, and then of course my man Lil Wayne, who dominated the late 2000s and early 2010s. You could not go maybe five songs on my iPod or Zune without finding at least one mixtape Lil Wayne song from the drought from the dedication mixtapes or whether it was the Carter one two or three Lil Wayne was all up in my music at that time and then a change happened out of nowhere Go to high school and everything started to change as they say it's like an evolution you go from fifth grade to sixth grade and you become the the eldest the big fish in the small pond to then again the small fish in the big pond and it's just that same cycle and then i guess when i got to high school i was trying to discover myself again and i started listening to a lot of rock and roll in motown Part of it was because my freshman year of high school, I went to a school where I didn't know anybody, I was depressed, and maybe I was just looking for something that made me feel a little bit different, that helped me change. And so I started listening to a lot of rock and roll. I started listening to a lot of Motown hits, soul. I was obsessed. And maybe Guitar Hero and Rock Band had something to do with it. And then there was a little movie by the name of Almost Famous that had me on a trajectory towards becoming a music journalist i wanted to travel the world with a band live that groupie lifestyle write about everything that i saw and present it just like in the movie while that was going on too motown was really coming from that state of depression that i was in and i was getting a lot of these new songs and these sounds from kanye samples and i could go into a tangent about kanye and his production but truly his production style the samples and production that he uses on his music have opened the floodgates for me musically completely and i don't know if i'd ever be as musically inclined as i am today if it wasn't for the influence of kanye's sample like productions and no matter what as much as i was listening to rock i was listening to led zeppelin Fleetwood Mac, Aerosmith, The Stones, etc., etc., the, the Who. Rap was still king. Lupe Fiasco is the cool. I remember my freshman year of high school, I wrote the lyrics to the coolest on my binder. And I also had a couple guilty pleasures too. I was listening to Katy Perry, and David Guetta was really unlocking the taste for EDM in my soul. Cold plays Viva La Vida and a Rush of Blood to the Head. There was just a lot of music at that time, and I was really trying to branch out a little bit. But during that era, I think that there were some artists that I was kind of scared to admit that I liked. You know, I think it was a sign of immaturity at that time, and 
wanted to fit in and I didn't want to say like, oh, I like Coldplay or I like this band because I feel like a loser, which thinking back is such a crazy thought to have. But anyway, late 2008 comes around and I discovered Kid Cudi. And as they say, nothing was ever the same. 2009, Man on the Moon 1 comes out. The album that changed my life. The album that to this day I still listen to pretty frequently. The first album that made me truly understand how to connect with music aside from just the sound and the way that it made me feel. Now I was able to connect with music from a poetry standpoint, from a songwriter standpoint, from listening to what someone else has to say and relating it to my own life. was now not just a hobby but a necessity for me it became my friend it became my mentor it became basically my therapist During that time, my love for Cuddy also coincided with Mac Miller. Dope shit like that, Jerome. Oh, hi. Welcome back to Kids. Um, follow your dreams. Yeah. See, I had something in both of those guys. In Cuddy, I had the introspective artist that was saying all of these things in my head that I didn't know how to put together that all these anxieties that you have in high school, all these worries that you have uh, when it comes to fitting in and finding your way and understanding who you are as a person. 
And then I had that pair with Mac Miller, who in his early stages was just very sophomoric and rapped about girls and parties and drinking and all the fun stuff that you do in high school. So I had really a little bit of both. And I'm so thankful for both of those guys and the music that they were putting out at the same time. She in love with a rock star, rock star, wanna smoke my weed, so she asked me where the top saw, top saw. Oh, top draw. <laughs> Two thousand and ten to two thousand and thirteen, you could find me DJing. You could find me out there making sets of Cascade, Afrojack, Swedish House Mafia, Dirty South, Laidback Luke, and so many other EDM artists. You could find me finding their songs, downloading them, putting them into sets, and releasing them out into the world. Skrillex's Cinema and Afrojack's Takeover Control bring back great memories of my high school prom and my grad night, and remind me of specific people as well. See, my reputation as the music guy even landed me a one-hour DJ set at my own prom, which is pretty cool looking back at it now. I don't think a lot of people get to say that they DJ their own prom. Even though that set was probably terrible, looking back at it, I had a good time, everyone else had a good time, and we moved on from there. And now I have a story to tell about it. Let's go take a Two thousand ten was a crazy year for music. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy came out, which arguably is the greatest album of the two thousand tens. And I'll sit here and argue to the death for that. You may not like Kanye, but what he did on that album is nothing short of spectacular. And aside from my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, for the true Kanye fans, you'll remember they were doing Good Friday releases. Christian Dior, Denim Flow, so many other songs every Friday, and they were truly on fire. Kanye and anyone who he touched 
that album not only delivered some of Kanye's greatest music, but it also gave us Rick Ross's greatest verse of all time, Nicki Minaj's greatest verse of all time, and it really brought out the best in so many artists. Despite all this music and, and all this influence and the fact that I had made music my life at this point, I still had him into a concert. I didn't go to my first concert till 2011. Lupe Fiasco laser show at FIU. I had to lie to my manager to get out. So looking back, questionable morals, but well worth the decision. What's, what am I going to remember more? That Sunday shift that I would have worked or this fantastic concert that ended up being my first. If you are what you say you are, a superstar, then have no fear, the camera's here, and the microphones, and they wanna know, oh, 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 the if you are what you say you are, a superstar, then have no fear, the crowd is here, Then 2011 hits, we're out of high school, and these are the true formative years for me musically. This year coincides with the rise of Drake from the heir apparent of Lil Wayne to the next global superstar in the hip-hop game. Of course, you had Watch the Throne that took over everyone's summer. And at this point, concerts are finally starting to flow. Watch the Throne tour, one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Drake. Club Paradise Tour, which is crazy looking back because his openers for that show were ASAP Rocky and Kendrick Lamar. And 2012, to be honest, I had no idea who those guys were. And looking back now, it's crazy that I had those guys in front of me and I wasn't even paying attention to their sets. So a little bit of advice for anyone, it doesn't matter who you're going to see. I would always recommend sticking around and watching the openers because you never know who you might be missing out on. But regardless... During that time, I went to my first Ultra. I started seeing DJs everywhere. Cascade, Layback, Glute, Dirty South, and so many more. And then, of course, The weekend and his mixtapes, House of Balloons, and Thursday. And so now my musical taste is slowly starting to come together. From hip-hop, to rock, to EDM, to everything in between. Adele was around to cure my broken heart. Avicii apparently made me faint at Ultra during his life set and Dead Mouse made me levitate and I finally felt well versed enough to earn the right to wear my Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones t-shirts out. I was truly all over the place. And if you thought 2011 was good, 2012 and 2013 were even better. Channel Orange came out 2012, Good Kid Mad City, Settle by Disclosure, Take Care, Calvin Harris's 18 months, the height of EDM happened. 
funds we are young so much going on during this time specifically channel orange the best song wasn't the single but you weren't either living in ladera heights the black beverly hills domesticated paradise palm trees and pools the water's blue swallow the pill keeping it surreal whatever you like whatever feels good whatever takes your mountain high keeping it surreal not sugar free my tv ain't hd that's too real grapevine mango peaches and lime sweet life i've mentioned before but that album to me remains my favorite album of the past 10 years and what that album did for me and what it continues to do to me today i can never thank frank ocean enough it's literally the only album i've ever bought on apple music so every time i get in my car for the past 10 years Every single time I've gotten into my car, a Channel Orange song starts playing first. But what a year for music that was. That's when I discovered Kendrick. That's when I discovered Disclosure. When I discovered really what Drake could do as an artist. Take Care to this day is his best album. You can argue with yourself about it because it's the truth. 2013, I saw Kid Cudi live for the first time. And well, the only time up to this point. Although, I do plan on seeing him in a couple months as well. But seeing Cuddy Live was like this. One of those movie moments, you know what I mean? When you just sit there for a second and you stand there and you just exist and you're like, damn, I can't believe this is my life. And looking back, it's crazy. We had the best floor seats uh, and it was such an experience, man. He put on such a show. And even his openers, Logic and Big Sean, what a tour. What a tour that was. And he played all the bangers. This was the Indica tour. And he did obviously his Man on the Moon 1 stuff, Man on the Moon 2 stuff, Indica. And he was incredible. He came out in this space suit. Uh, his stage design was awesome. The crowd energy was amazing. There was weed smoke in the air everywhere. I got secondhand high that night for sure. It was just one of those moments that I'll honestly never forget as not just a fan of Kid Cudi, but as a fan of music and live shows in general. Music was giving me such a soundtrack. 2013 through 15 were those peak college years. And I was into all the party music. Any kind of thing I could dance to. I became obsessed with Daft Punk. I'd always been a fan of Daft Punk, but all of a sudden I found myself playing One More Time and Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, and even their newer stuff, Get Lucky and uh, Lose Yourself to Dance. Daft Punk was on my everyday rotation during that time. 
I was into rooftop dance music before I even knew what rooftop dance music was. I was looking for DJ Snake songs, more Calvin Harris songs with Motion, which is a fantastic album. And I'm not afraid to say 1989 by Taylor Swift slapped. Say what you want about Taylor, but that album had bangers on it. And besides that, man, Big Sean, of course, Fetty Wap. The first episode I talked about, The Summer of Fetty Wap. And his song, 679, Trap Queen, My Way. Just classic bangers. And Fetty Wap, wherever you are, man, we need you back. We need another Summer of Fetty Wap. Pronto. I was feeling good and feeling good all the time. I remember making a trip up to Gainesville. I had just torn my ACL, so I rode on this uh, bus drive for five, six hours with my leg up and this big old brace, maybe one month post-surgery. And my whole ride there, I'm listening to uh, Man on the Moon 2, In the Cud, and Good Kid Mad City. Now, at this point, I'd never smoked marijuana in my life, and it wasn't really my thing. But something about that music was just like, you know what? Fuck it. And so I get up to Gainesville. I meet up with my friends. We're out there having a good time. It's a shit show. I'm walking around on my crutches. People were cheering me on. People were like, oh, look at this dude. You know, the whole thing. I'm a campus hero. I night's end we end up at a random house party and we go into the living room there's music playing there's people all around everyone's vibing i'm on my crutches and i see someone with a gas mask just smoking passing it around and i look over to my friend my friend looks over to me she says i'm in the urine i said all right, let's do it. <laughs> so my first experience ever was smoking out of a gas mask. And it was uh, quite the high, I'll say that. But if it wasn't for the influences of those albums and those sounds, I don't know that I would have really gone for it. And it really has helped heighten so many moments in my life. And it's just so funny to look back at it now. crazy thing was happening too where I was starting to get into indie and the album that really got me to no surprise to anyone who knows me was AM by the Arctic Monkeys. First of all, it's my first tattoo that I ever got. The album art is clean. 
but that sound was just so different to me and it really opened the door for me to get into the indie scene and now i can honestly say that the arctic monkeys are one of my favorite bands of all time so much so that i got their album tattooed on me so it's cool to see how some artists and some songs just grow on you over time and certain songs that you may have heard in the past that really meant nothing to you now can mean the world aside from that uh, arctic monkeys am tattoo i also got the 505 tattooed on me and people ask me about this all the time and what it means and it's another arctic monkeys song and if you haven't heard it i've played it on the show before but if you haven't heard it go out listen to it it's their most popular song it's a fantastic song and you can make your own meaning out of it. But a couple years ago, I mean, this was just a song that I liked. But now it's just a song that I have tattooed on my wrist that I look at every single day. And that's one of the beautiful things about music is how at one moment it's not impactful to you at all. But then later on in the future, it means the world to you. And then 2016 to 2020, thinking back, were kind of a musical blur. See, I really started to come into my own, and I was no longer being this musical gatekeeper or this pretentious audiophile that was telling people what real music was or how they should listen to music because I didn't want to be that anymore. I remember telling people back then, like, oh, you listen to Pitbull, oh, you listen to this, like, that's not real music. And I was probably a musical asshole. And thinking back, I go back and slap myself in the face for doing that. Because you should never tell people how to listen to music and you should never tell people what they should feel when they listen to certain songs. Everyone has their own interpretation of, of, of a song, of an album, of an artist. I really no longer wanted to have that title of being this snobby music guy. Instead, I wanted to share the gift of music with others. But during those years, a lot of great albums came out. Blonde, 
uh, Kendrick's uh, was releasing To Pippa Butterfly and Damn. Uh, Gambino dropped Redbone and Awaken My Love. Anderson Pack dropped Malibu, SZA, Control, uh, Funk Waves Volume, uh, Funk Wave Bounces Volume 1, Lord's Melodrama, Rihanna's Anti, which, by the way, where is Rihanna? I need more Rihanna music ASAP. You can't just drop Anti on us and then never come back. Anyway, Rihanna's Anti, Because the Internet by Tyler Scampino, just so many classic albums coming out during that time. And it was really this experimental period where we were really discovering who these great artists were. And I mentioned all these albums and I didn't even mention uh, a guy like Chance the Rapper who had Acid Rap and uh, Coloring Book, two of the best hip hop albums of the last decade. So there was so much happening at the same time. And at this point, I'm listening to everything. And my knowledge for music is probably at its highest. And here we also have the early buzzes of J Balvin, Bad Bunny, Maluma. And it was really just this musical crockpot. And I found myself looking for the soundtrack of my life during that time. At a time it was joyous and exciting. And other times it was sad and resentful. And during this period where I was really trying to find my sound and where I fit in is where I really started to get into indie and my love for indie started to grow. How to be a human being by the glass animals. I remember going to Lollapalooza for the first time in 2017. What a weekend that was. But I made it a thing to make sure that I did my research and studied certain artists uh, so that by the time that I got to the festival that I'd have a full lineup set of artists that I'd actually enjoy. And the artists that stuck out the most to me and I'm so grateful that I was curious about music and not just blocked into just seeing the names that I kind of remember. I'm super grateful that I did that research and found the glass animals because now the glass animals have become one of the most important bands, artists of my entire musical journey. According to my Spotify, they're my number one played artist of all time, which is crazy considering like all the music that I listen to. But it was glass animals, how to be a human being. Portugal the Man, Tame Impala's Currents album, obviously anything by the Arctic Monkeys. I was really big into Milky Chance, uh, The Neighborhood, and then the Black Pumas later on, and so, so many more. But indie started to become my calling card, and it's probably the genre that I listen to the most today. Because there's something about indie music that just, it's just kind of a soundtrack. And you really do see it a different way. Like, I don't know, I hear these indie songs and I picture myself at the beginning of a movie. The credits are rolling down and I'm getting in my car, driving down the street. And there's an Arctic Monkey song playing or there's a Black Puma song playing. And it's really interesting how far I've come musically and where my interests now lie. Wasted. 
And you know the crazy thing about music? And I've mentioned it before. Sometimes music doesn't hit for you in certain eras of your life. But when you revisit it at another time, it's exactly what you need. And so I said earlier that I didn't go through my emo phase in middle school. Instead, I went through it 15 years later. 2020 marked the start of my emo phase, which I still believe I'm in. I started listening to more Paramore. My Chemical Romance became one of my favorite bands of all time. Pierce the Veil, AFI. I could go on and on. But the sound, I don't know what it was. It's so liberating to sit there and yell out, When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city. And come on, Misery Business? I mean, I know I'm, na- I'm naming the generic emo songs, but these were new to me. Or at least the feeling that I had listening to them were new to me. I knew these songs from before, but there was something different about them now. Now I can't imagine a life without the Black Parade or Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge or Misery Business. It's just, it's crazy. And I've done a couple emo nights now uh, down here in Miami and they're some of the funnest nights I've had because you just get to yell and scream and there's so much emotion and passion in this music and I'm still discovering new sounds every single day. But it's so cool how out of nowhere You could just fall in love with old music. So let me paint the picture for you. It's February. I'm running my first half marathon. I've never done anything like this before in my life. It's about mile three, and we're running down the MacArthur Causeway. I look to my right. I see the beautiful ocean front view as the sun rises and sets and reflects right over the water. I curated a playlist before I went on the run. I had everything from energetic songs to get me going when I'm out of gas to relaxing songs to keep me at pace and other songs just to help me live in the moment and understand the gravity of the situation that I'm in. So right around mile three, I look around and I do that thing where I just start to exist. And as fate would have it, my chemical romances Welcome to the Black Parade starts to play. And in that moment, unlike any other moment in my life, I truly felt like the main character. And even though there was thousands of people running in front of me, behind me, to my right and to my left, for a second, I got to live in that moment by myself. That's what music does for you. It makes you your own main character. It provides that soundtrack and enhances some of the greatest moments you'll ever have in your life. So thank you, My Chemical Romance for giving me that main character moment and for providing the soundtrack to one of the greatest moments of my life.
Oh, and then the pandemic hit. And you all know that story. 2020. But look, I will say this about the pandemic. It did give me the chance to connect with music in a way that I had never connected with it before. myself listening to it in new ways and I was forcing myself to go out and discover new and old music from all around the world. Brazilian music, samba music, UK rap, even going back into my own roots and listening to more Spanish rock and pop and salsa and merengue and really becoming more in tune with my Latino culture. During the pandemic I also found myself watching this show on Hulu called High Fidelity. If you've never seen High Fidelity, it's a show for all audiophiles and music lovers. I'll never forgive Hulu for canceling it after one season, but within that one season, it gave me so much. But what that show did is it showed me how to curate a playlist in a new way, how to tell a story. And I started doing that as a little hobby, and it allowed me to connect with music in a new way. And I would reach out on my Instagram and ask people to send me music uh, that I would incorporate into these kinds of playlists. That more often than not, these playlists were uh, about relationship types. And they would start off with the early phases of getting to know somebody, and then the honeymoon phase, and then of course leading into the back end of a relationship when things are no longer going smoothly and the imminent breakup is about to happen. I don't know what it was about those times. Maybe a lot of us are going through things, but I found myself being depressed throughout most of the pandemic. And I was listening to a lot of ballads, to a lot of sad R&B. And maybe it was because I just wanted to enhance those feelings. I'm like, well, I'm already here. I might as well just go all the way. It was really interesting what it did. So depression, as terrible as it may have been, helped me listen to music in ways I hadn't before. I was really listening to the words more so than I was listening to the music. And, you know, they truly do say that when you're happy, you hear the music, but when you're sad, you hear the lyrics. Not in this mind and not in this heart, I won't rot. And I took you by the hand and we stood tall and remembered our own life. And the sounds and the playlists that I was putting together, they ended up being almost my therapist during these dark times. And they were my go-to hobby. And through that time, I found myself sharing more music with people. And they were sharing music with me as well. And it's kind of a way to look into somebody else's life, get a little peek and see what they're going through, see what kind of mood they're in based on what they're listening to. And that leads me into something like Spotify Blend, which is a feature that I absolutely love. See, with Spotify Blend, you and someone else can combine your musical interests and create a playlist that changes every single day. And the cool thing about that is that you get to see a little glimpse into someone else's life, just as they get to see a little glimpse into yours. Exactly what was true, but oh no more. That's why I hold 
That's why I hold with all I have That's why I hold And I will die alone And be left there Well I guess I'll just go home Oh God knows where Because death is just so full scared of what's behind and what's before and really my favorite thing about music is that it gives us this excuse to use someone else's poetry to describe exactly how we feel because sometimes the words just don't come to us and that's what, honestly what makes us so attached to a lot of songs to a lot of artists to a lot of albums because we feel as though we may have been in that room writing these songs with these artists, like we ghost wrote them. Words in your hand, there will come a time you'll see with no more tears in love. I often end up putting myself in a lot of different settings when I listen to music. I start curating these music videos in my head in which I'm the main character. Some of them are sad, some of them I'm at a party, some of them are a combination of both. But through these dark times and throughout the past couple years when I haven't always been my best self, music has played a completely different role for me than it ever has in the past. And I really go to it for a lot of reasons. To heighten the emotions that I want to feel or to run away from the emotions that I don't want to feel. What I've been listening to a lot lately depends on the mood that I'm in or the mood that I'm trying to run away from. I've become so much more open-minded when it comes to music. And I found myself asking other people to give me albums or songs or artists that they really resonate with. And then I try to put myself in their shoes and see what it is about these songs and albums and artists that they relate to. Because now that I feel like I've been through some shit, I feel like everything changed. And certain songs that I used to listen to back then now have a completely different meaning for me. And during this time, past two years like i said i've mostly listened to like a lot of indie but one day i could be listening to disco the next day i'm listening to oldies the next day i'm listening to bruno mars and anderson pack next day bad bunny you just never know but what i've discovered is that there's a time and a place for all genres and i've had people call me their musical soulmate and another one called me the king of music which is a title that i definitely am not worthy of but when I get a text or hear comments about a song or an artist reminding someone of me, I light up because that's what it's all about. And I'll never not want to play DJ at the house party. It's a role that I take seriously and I always like studying the vibe and reading the room, seeing what kind of 
environment we want to build and also reintroducing people into songs they haven't heard in a long time because nostalgia is a motherfucker and sometimes when you're going through things all you want is something to put you back at a time when you were happy and do i have the tracks to do that so i'll always want to be the party dj no matter what and i hope my friends never stop sending me music and i hope they never get tired of me sending them to them because the gift of music is so pure and the idea that certain songs can remind me of certain people in my life or certain sounds can resonate with me and i feel like oh i think this person will like this sound or this person will like that song it's there's a beauty to it because we have a lot of shit going on in our lives and when someone takes the time to even just send you a message, send you a link to a new song or an album because they thought of you. I feel like it's something that we don't cherish enough. I'm slow dancing in a burning room to La Vie and Rose. I'm playing Kendrick's All Right to help me shake off my fears. Or maybe I'm at the gym blasting Rage Against the Machine or Meek Mill. Or perhaps I'm in need of a good cry with the sounds of James Blake or Sam Cooke. Music so often speaks for me and my emotion in ways that my brain hasn't developed yet. And so when I die, hopefully, 60 or so years from now aside from my loved ones what i'll miss most is the music and at that funeral whoever is alive listening to this today you better make sure that they play pony by genuine at my funeral because that's going to be a celebration of life and not a day of sadness but lastly i want to say music has helped me discover my roots and I'd say it may be one of my greatest personality traits. And so for those of you that made it this far and obliged me this entire time and followed me along my musical journey as I reminisced and walked down memory lane, I thank you and I hope that you discovered some new music or got a little bit of that nostalgia that made you feel good. And I look forward to the future of this podcast as always. I thank you for listening. And as always, I hope you conquer today, conquer tomorrow, conquer the next day. Tell somebody that you love them. Peace and love. I'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.
Wake up, wake up, wake up, get up. Let's make love tonight. Ooh.